Hey everyone, I'm Rabbi Tzvi Waxman. And I'm Rabbi Shalom Rodin. We're here at the Hanging at the Hub podcast, which we created to be a place where it's real talk, people and rabbis, where we discuss all kinds of everyday topics and find the Jewish perspective on it. Everyone has a story, whether you're famous or not. And we try to bring that out to, to everyone. So with all our interviewees, hopefully you can learn something. Uh, we can learn something and uh, should be fun. All the best. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Hanging at the Hub, Real Talk People and Rabbis, uh, where we just have a good time, talk with real great people, um, and sometimes find a Jewish perspective on it that would uh, hopefully improve our perspective in our lives uh, in a positive way. So we're here with a special guest, the world famous <laughs> Liat Sachs. Coughlin. Co- Okay, edit that. <laughs> you want the bomb is? The says, truth it, is, I didn't change my last name. That's the okay, truth. Okay, first of all, it says Liat Sachs on your video. That's what no, the video. truth is, I didn't change my last name because Eliron didn't go to school for me. I'm a Sachs. Ooh. Oh, so so that, is that what you oh, should sorry. I say, Liat Sachs? What I'm for five? I need five years success before I go through changing my paperwork. That's Good. The so truth. I'm saying so I'm saying Liat Sachs then. Yeah. The famous Liat Sachs. We'll go into that a little later. Welcome, Liat. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, guys. This is exciting. I'm sorry I'm your only guest on um, Zoom, but I'm also um, petrified of germs, even pre-COVID. So this is just like extra. I feel like you like to break barriers anyways. You like to be the first of new things. No, I. you know what? I think I started Zoom before Zoom was cool. I, like my entire <laughs> business was made around like my health issues. And so... Now we'll everyone's just that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah we we'll love to. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna jump into that. So, but like what you said, you know, breaking barriers. You know, for anyone who doesn't know Liat, for those that do know Liat, um, someone who's not shy, you you share your opinion uh, without any reservations. So I guess I'll start out asking, where did that come from? Is that you know, I for being a, a child of South Africans, uh, parents who are also very outgoing. Uh, at least uh, your father uh, is the mm-hmm. one who's not shy. Is that something you get, you, you growing up you got from him? Is something you you grew into? Um, nurture nature. Um, everything that um, things that I noticed about my dad, even things that annoyed me, um, I am that. You know, from a young age, he would make us like kind of you know go to Cafe Fino, the kosher restaurant, and be like, "Hi, this is Liat. She'd love to babysit your kids." You know, and I'm like, he's like, and like, just like, leave me talking there, which like I hated so much, but I feel like I see myself doing the same thing, kind of like talking to someone that automatically, they don't even know they're on three way with someone else. And I'm just like connecting them. Um, so I think definitely part of it's from my dad, just like a natural connector talking a lot. Apparently since I was a young kid, I always was kind of just out there talking a lot. And I guess, I mean, it definitely has to come from my dad because Hopefully not to his extreme, but to some level. Uh, Look, it, it obviously got you far. It's being so young and yet so successful. Um, you know, it, it's, it definitely gave you a, a head start in life. So for sure. I think actually that changed it. So I, you said like some nature, but definitely some nurture. I think like, you know, when you think when you say that a lot of my life events, which I like I'm sure we'll get into which have brought me to where I am have like really changed my outlook on a lot of things in life where it was just kind of like, let go in terms of like, I'm going to say what I want to say. Life is short. You know, 
you know, just kind of really put things into perspective in terms of like, do what I want, you know, just, I mean, obviously within reason, but just this idea of not holding back and just like going after what you want, because I guess when life throws certain things at you, you just kind of, you realize, okay, it's either this or nothing. So I'm going to go for it. So I think that's kind of what's happened yeah. along the way. Now, let me ask you this. Yeah, I wasn't planning this, but you know, some people with South African accents, I don't have a hard time, but some people have a hard time understanding it. When you were growing up, was it just like you, because it's your parents, you understood them or you had a struggle with that or your friends? No, like I could switch anytime I want to. Yeah, so like if I go. want to switch and be South African mid thing, it's not a problem for me. <laughs> so, um, no, I definitely understood them. And I mean, my mom, I think you're probably talking more about my dad because my mom yeah. is like very clear. Yeah. Like her yeah. mother was deaf. And so like, she literally enunciates everything at like volume 37. Um, so my dad, and sometimes I like, I'm like, what? But it's, I think it's I think more it's that he, like, he's speaking so fast and like, with the when accent, it's, the it's like lost. My favorite part is that your father is going to listen to this and we're just talking about it. No, That's my favorite but I part think the real hard part, and this might be good for him to, when you, you're on the phone with him, right? Really a lot of South Africans. Again, I think people love the South African accent, so it's really no, no, I think no sometimes they this. get stuck when you're listening the to the accent. They're not listening to what's being said. They're like, I sound so good. But now it's just hard to understand. Like, you, but you don't want to ask them to repeat what you said. Like, it just, because, you know, whatever. So. And also, did you did you have a lot of rusks? Yeah, Am my I mom used right? to make them for a little. You know? Well, well, yeah. That's why I threw that out there. Rusks. Rusks. No one, my mom know, made them for a little. My mom, like, would make them for a little. I mean, I wasn't always obsessed. The ones my mom made were good with buttermilk. But, like, if you actually have a real rusk, it's essentially, like, like, like a mandel loaf on Pesach that's like rock hard and like no flavor. No, I, when I came to your house once and your father was like, you got to try this. He's like, but you probably want coffee with it or to dip it. So already when you're starting off, you have to dip it in order to eat it. Get ready it's for a creepy it. side. Yeah. It's like you need to put a lot of ketchup. Like when someone <laughs> says that about food, you're like, eek. I agree. All right. So let's, let's jump into it. So you grew up in Dallas, right? Ever since yes. You were born and raised here? I was born in Dallas, Texas, yes, in the same house that my parents still live in. I mean, I wasn't born in the house, but you follow. Medical City. Mm -hmm. Let's go right into you were. I don't know how old you were when, uh, for those of you who don't know your father, Ivan, when he first found out that he was diagnosed with uh, lymphoma, correct? Yes. Yeah, so the first time he was diagnosed with lymphoma, we have so many health things in the family that sometimes it all gets blurred together. But I, I, the first time I believe was when I was 15, like a freshman in high school. And I mean, that was a shock because we're used to him always being, I mean, which he still is, thank God. Um, you know, the strong leader of not only our family, but so many different areas, uh, like in the community, um, kind of just within everything. And so we found out he had lymphoma, which my parents at the time told me was, they're like, oh yeah, dad has this thing. It's called lymphoma. It's not a big deal, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, isn't that cancer? They're like, no, it's lymphoma. I'm like, are you sure? They're like, no, it's just called lymphoma. Um, I'm assuming there was Google then. I, I mean, <laughs> and I figured it out, but it was just like a... 
Oh yeah, no, no. It's um so that was definitely a challenge, his first time having cancer, which then, you know, a couple of years later, I think five years later, he got it again when I was 20. Um, he came back again. And then the third time it came back was two and a half years later when I was like 22 or 23. And thank God now he's been in remission. Um, but that was definitely a challenge for the family time after time especially because, you know, my sister and I both weren't living in Dallas anymore. And actually the, the final, the, I mean, please God, the final time or the last time that he had it, um, I actually decided to move home to be here just because I was always kind of the caretaker in the family in general. Not that my mom's not, she of course was as his wife, but I decided to move back to be here with him during that time. Hanging at the Hub will be right back. But first, here's another edition of Why Do We Do That? There's a commandment in the Torah to give charity. It's based on the verse in Deuteronomy, if there's a poor person among you, you shall open up your hand to him. Giving charity is equal to all other mitzvot. Some other fun facts, one should give with a smile. Persuading others to give as well is even a greater mitzvah. We're taught in Mishlei, charity saves from death. Giving tzedakah charity, one can save your life. Thus, the reward is life. By giving charity, one demonstrates that he understands that the purpose of life is to help other people. As the Torah tells us, the world is built on kindness. The Talmud tells us that one should give a tenth of his income to charity. And when you do that, there's a special blessing of wealth. And finally, of all the commandments that we're given, the only commandment where God says, test me, is the commandment of giving charity. When you give charity, God says, I'm going to double and maybe even more. But God says, test me. Have a good day. You know, again, at the same time, it seems like this was a five-year, different times he was diagnosed, but there's a certain time you also, you had a health issue that you're open about, which again, from, yeah, I think it's so inspiring for all of us. You know, there's two, there's two when, when someone goes through something challenging, right, a lot of, there are two types of people. Some people hide it and they keep it, you know, to themselves, which mm -hmm. again, we don't, we don't judge that. That's mean? obviously yeah. And then there's other people who are very open about it and they're very, um, you know, they're, 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 uh, they share their story, um, either for their own, you know, personal reason, you know, for their own health, they feel like they just want to get it out or just to, um, Definitely. not to be, you know, not, you know, nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be shy about. And I know, I know I want to get into that also, I'm curious how you're balancing all, you know, your health ish, you know, I don't know what the right way to say, health, um, challenge, challenge um, yeah. w with, with, uh, you know, with your father having cancer and having a brother who, you know, is, you know, is autistic, you know, if you could just share about that, like what, what was that like? So, what was that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So all these different parts of my life, it's crazy. You know, like they say that you could, you know, God's doing this for a reason. God's doing this for a reason. And, you know, a lot of people like have difficulty understanding that. And I definitely have at times. 
But if I stand where I am now, I could literally see that each single thing that I went through, which I'll explain in a minute, all led up to where I am. So when my dad had cancer for the second time, the second time, yes, I was 21 or yeah, I might be mixing up my ages, but basically I found that he had cancer. The next morning I was in college at University of Maryland and my hands, I woke up and my hands were so swollen and like the blanket laying on me felt like it weighed a million pounds. And I had my hair in a ponytail like this and it felt like it was like bricks sitting on my shoulder. And it was literally the next morning from when I found out my dad had the lymphoma again. And I was just, I couldn't get out of my room. Like I couldn't open the door my hands were so swollen. And I'm like, what is going on? And fast forward a little bit, I was diagnosed with lupus, which I had no idea what that was when I was told I was diagnosed with lupus. Um, but basically it's um, an autoimmune condition where immune system, your immune system attacks itself. And so I truly believe that I like whether it was laying dormant in my body or not, I believe like this stressful event triggered it. Like it was almost like, it was like clockwork. Like one day I was running, I mean, I was a black belt, did Muay Thai for years. I was in cross country. Like I was, you know, I would say like a picture of health, of good health. And it was like one day done. Like, ha ha, Leah, your life's changing. And from that day, I... I mean, that was a huge change for me of this diagnosis of lupus, which is like it took a little longer than like one day to diagnose because it essentially affects your entire immune system and your entire immune system makes so many different parts of your body work that it imitates so many other issues. Um, but I found out relatively quickly. And so from then, that was my junior year of college. I spent the next two years... My junior year. Yeah, yeah. When you when you yeah. found out when you were diagnosed with lupus, which is huh? it besides the physical pain and the symptoms, that could be you know. Uh, yeah, like don't Google it. I wouldn't oh, recommend it's googling it. It's painful. It's was it emotionally also was it very. Um, oh yeah. You like completely. you kind of like did you start feeling like oh this I was depressed. Me? This I was is so like depressed. Um. Yeah. I mean, because when you when you naturally when you get something new told to you what do you do you go look it up right right what do you do you go join a support group maybe like you're in these support groups where people are identifying themselves as the disease then they like list their medications too and i'm like oh my gosh is this like what my life is gonna be you know like essentially like they're signing off like it's like they're they're masters or their doctorate in these like essentially it's becoming their label and 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 it's just like you look at it and you're like, oh my god, is that what like right now it's just started off as lupus apparently, but am I going to get all these labels too? And so it's definitely a mind, um, like a, a a wild mind game because you're just you're starting to think about your future. I mean, you think through everything that you wouldn't even think about. You're like. Am I, am I going to be able to meet someone? Am I going to be too sick? Am I going to be in a wheelchair? Am I going to be able to have kids? Am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to continue to feed myself? Can I work? Is, are my parents going to have to support me? Like questions that like you're, you know, when everyone else is at 22 years old, typically you're thinking about like, 
well, what am I going to do to take over the world? You know, mine was like everything became a thought out decision. And I was the most impulsive person ever. Like, oh, I want to go see a friend. I'll get on a plane now. Oh, I want to do this. Okay. Um, And suddenly I had to put thought into everything I did because with lupus, you're given this limited amount of energy a day. And there's this analogy called the spoons analogy. And Basically, someone was trying to explain it to a friend in a cafeteria and was saying, they're like, well, what's it like to have like a, you know, a chronic illness? And they're like, it's basically like having spoons. And they picked up a pile of spoons in a cafeteria and they said, right, so typically you as a normal person have unlimited spoons. Like, okay, I got to pick the kids up from school today. Okay, that's one spoon. All right, I got to take the dishes out of the dishwasher and put them away. Okay, that's another spoon. Oh, I got to call my grandma whatever it is. And these are all spoons that people typically use unlimited or have a lot more. With lupus, it's like, okay, you're given three spoons a day, sometimes one spoon a day. Sometimes you have no spoons. It's like, what are you going to choose to do with it? And, and it came to this, you know, making these decisions that someone at 20 something who's in like their peak energy level usually is not thinking about like, oh, I probably shouldn't go get dinner with my friends tonight because I won't be able to get up for my class at 10 a.m. tomorrow or, but that's like a huge time difference. And it so it's, it just starts making you think about these things, everything. Oh, if I go outside, do I have sunscreen? Because uh, I get really sick if I'm, if I'm in the sun. If I don't have this, do I have enough of this? Or like packing for a trip, like bringing every medication ever. Like I am so envious of people who could just be like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll crash at your place tonight. Like I could never think of doing that. Like I have to have every medication in case anything's needed, you know, um, my medical history for everything. And it's just like this all changed in a minute. And it's those kind of things that we don't realize how much we take for granted, literally of being able to be like, yeah, I'll just crash on your couch tonight. Like if I did that, my body, I wouldn't be able to walk the next day. And so just kind of, and I mean, another huge thing was, you know, so the medications they put you on for an overactive immune system are immunosuppressant so that it doesn't work. And so when you're on immunosuppressant drugs, you don't have an immune system. So like, whether it's catching a cold that's out there, I mean, think of Corona right now, but I mean, (laughs) even for a common cold, so this is like, I'm literally hibernating. But um, I mean, even a paper cut, like you think how your immune system helps a paper cut heal on your hand or, you know, it's just so many things that your immune system does that just that you never had to think about before. I take it for granted for sure. Oh, wow. No, it's an amazing thing. Like I... I, I guess I, I feel like everyone has autoimmune. Well, there's autoimmune disease, or everyone does it, have it, some. If you're open about it, everyone will tell you they have some. Like, like and I, per, I have my personal story, which I'm not gonna get to now. I have Crohn's, and I remember when I was diagnosed, also in my early 20s, and it was devastating. Um, besides the pain and the other crippling effects, it's just like you're saying emotionally, you, you, you know, we so define ourselves and our, our by our our physical state and how we look and how we you know, how we think we want to be and uh, we're going to be. And then I I lost a lot of weight and, you know, I used to get very self-conscious and it's, it's literally, it's like, oh, my life just changed, you know, overnight with this diagnosis. Um, I'm curious, how did you, um, 
how did you move forward from that? You know, again, hearing the fact that your father had cancer, you were, you know, your younger brother who you was autistic, and now you have this your own health issue challenge of lupus. What was that like? Okay, I got to move forward, or I'm just gonna sink. So, if you had that, definitely, yeah, no, I mean, it was definitely. You know, it's easier to say now. I think at the time, it's like you're just going when you're going through something. You're kind of just going through the motions. I mean, I could make up something like I just, I just knew. You know, I mean, at the time, <laughs> but you go through it. I mean, so it's like, okay, what things do I have to focus on right now? I still have assignments due. I'm still in school, so I need to make sure these teachers are getting me my assignments from the hospital bed. Um, you know what is this is okay. I want to make sure my dad's doing fine. Or like, I didn't even realize the extent to how it affected me. Cause at that point you're still, they, I mean, they say it's usually the worst in the beginning. At, I mean, at that point I just had lupus. Now I have like four other autoimmune conditions that go with it. I think like once you have one, I mean, it's your entire immune system. So right, right. like, as assuming like my stomach got involved, they probably say it's Crohn's and then this, but like they just like lupus covers it all, but they do have like individual names for the different parts it affects. Um, but there was definitely times I was depressed. I mean, like very depressed. I, I mean, cause you're just like in the hospital over and over, just like, okay, I'm out and now I'm in, Ugh, now I'm out, now I'm in, you know, all the time and just, also retelling your story that doesn't even make sense to you at first. Like you're going into a doctor and you're retelling the story. And I mean, when I try to tell you it now, I barely remember it because there's been so much along the way. So they're like, okay, so what morning was it that you woke up? What was your first symptom? I'm like, uh, to be honest, I don't know. Oh, then I'm saying this and I'm like, oh, but actually I remember this happened back then and this, and you're retelling a story and trying to like, I mean, essentially you really need a PowerPoint. I'm like, okay, so on this date, this happened on this date, this happened. There was a trauma here. This, um, I mean, and a huge difficulty for me was, um, one of my biggest fears in the world has always been needles. Like I am petrified of needles mm -hmm. and then getting a condition where you are basically one big, you are just getting poked nonstop with IVs and they can't find a vein and this and that. And I mean, talk about exposure therapy. I was just like getting poked and prodded. And I mean, like even little things like that, I had to do therapy for because I was like weirdly freaked out by needles. Like wouldn't walk barefoot on a beach, but think that like needles were going to be on the beach or there was, you know, like just like things that weren't even rational from like one haunted story I heard as a kid that like someone put it in a movie theater seat or something. And then, I think I heard that story. you know, that story, that like famous story, like with HIV. Yes. And so it was just, I mean, just like at the time I just had to get through. That was it. And I mean, definitely things had to change. Like I was in a five-year master's program to get my master's in special ed and, um, Okay. So, so you were 20, then you were diagnosed when you were 20, right? This, 22, this the time I think. 22. 22. So you're in college at this point. Uh huh. So how did you balance that and schooling? Like, in, in your I have career? no idea. Like, first of all, I had great friends in my program. Like my best friend, Jenny, was like, she told me the other day, she's like, yeah, you remember when I wrote, you took, you had to take that English literature class and I wrote your paper. I'm like, you did? You're such a good friend. 
because <laughs> it was like I got last to sign up, like a class I would never sign up for. Was there anything that kept you positive or you just like just survival? I just, I want, you have a goal. I want to graduate and I'm just going to do it. Or you, I mean, like, well, I, no, I've always been, I mean, like my humor is pretty, um, it like, I could laugh at a lot of things. <laughs> like, yeah, like I can't, I don't know if it's dark or, um, <laughs> but I'm able to like laugh at a lot of things. And so, it was never, and I had really good friends. My family was amazing. I mean, my parents would, like, my mom was literally caretaking between my dad and then, like, coming to fly up to be with me in the hospital. And, like, it, it wasn't me independently. I had amazing support. I was home for Rosh Hashanah in 2016, and I started feeling sick. So I had to go to the hospital and, like, having stomach issues. And when I went, First, they're sending me back. Then I went back in again. They're like, oh, it's her gallbladder. She needs to have it taken out. Like, okay, you listen to the doctor if they say that. Get my gallbladder out, fine. Great. Um, after I had the surgery, I started having really bad pain in my hands at certain hours. Like in the evening, my hands would hurt really bad. Like someone was squeezing like a tight rope around it or something. And I didn't know what was going on, so I would just like, they give me something for pain. Then they give me something for like itching because my hands would get really, really, really itchy from like the moment I came out of surgery. So I'd like scratch them on anything that I could. And I didn't know, but this was part of the process of um, three of my fingertips freezing off. So with the surgery they did, uh, the doctors didn't read the papers fully. And three of and so my hands weren't covered during the operation. And it's even though the paperwork stated that I have Raynaud's, which is like very poor circulation, um, my hands weren't covered. So they basically froze off in the operating room, but they don't freeze that second. It's progressively over time. So I watched them decompose over like three or four months and I was inpatient in John Hopkins. Uh, essentially watching them decompose and making sure like the freezing hadn't spread anywhere else in my body because we didn't really know what was going on. Like at first we're like, what is going on? Like, I mean, they did like skin... Uh, like biopsies and different things and they couldn't figure out what was going on. Thanks to the Jewish community here, my parents' next door neighbor is a rheumatologist. Also, I should have said, I, I had no established care here in Dallas because I was, I'd never lived here with an illness and I was home for Shoshana. So like, I didn't have anyone to go to who specializes in, you know, rheum, rheumatological disorders. And so thank God my parents' neighbor uh, he is a rheumatologist at one of the hospitals here. And he said, you know, I'm going to this convention, this number one doctor in the world for this condition from John Hopkins is going to be there. I'm going to try to show him a picture of your hands, how they're like black and dead at the end and see if he could get you in. And he showed him the picture and this doctor said, I'll see her in two days. And it was right after Thanksgiving. And so I flew up to John Hopkins and I was there for three months watching my fingertips essentially come off, trying to do like any pain blocking. Um, I mean, at that point, it was a lot of pain, uh, like taking care of the pain because like the nerves at the end of your fingers. I mean, they tried doing like nerve blockers and different things like that and like little surgeries and nothing really helped. And I mean, I would say that was probably the biggest challenge I've been through in my life because that 
I mean, you are, when you're in that amount of pain, there seems no reason to live. You're like, I should not be living if I'm in this amount of pain. So. I mean, the medication I, wasn't working. No. Like any medication. So that was like the thing. And then they killer. even took me, exactly. So like, I mean, so there, I mean, now it makes sense. So one doctor, and like, I'm so thankful for him, Dr. Fred Wigley, he came in one day and he said, we've got to get her off these pain meds. They're like, look at her. She's completely snowed out and it's not even helping her because, you know, these are dopamine blockers, the medications, and these are nerve, like these are nerve, this is nerve pain. It's not even going to help the same path. Mm -hmm. So like at that point I was, I actually remember like getting in a fight with the nurse being like, but I need my medication. And they just like took me off cold turkey, which in hindsight now I'm so blessed because, you know, you see like all these opi opioid um, epidemic issue. But I mean, at the time that was literal torture. Like that was probably like the only, even if it like maybe wasn't like that physical relief, I'm sure in some sense it was, or like the only joy in my day of feeling like my head, I'm, I, I don't remember exactly what it was like, but it was like, okay, I really have nothing. And I was supposed to just wait for these fingertips to fall off naturally. And that was the longest three, four months of my life ever. Every second was like hours. It was, I, I would, I really would never wish that on anyone. But fast forward to that, eventually I, I got them amputated, these three fingertips. And from that day, and I, I had like thought, okay, I'm giving up on taking this test. Like also my brain was like, it's amazing how the brain can recover because I couldn't even remember a two number sequence, let alone studying for this board exam of right. positive reinforcement, contingencies, token economies, blah, 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 like all these different languages. Um, and so I thought, okay, I'm not going to be able to take the test anymore. I'm going to figure something else out. I mean, I also had lost my ability to go to the bathroom myself, dress myself, um, take a shower, anything. And so I, um, I decided I like would need to give up on the test. But from the day I got my fingertips amputated, they they were open wounds that I had to change four times a day. It was like disgusting. Even when I saw it first, I fainted <laughs> in the hospital. Like when they when I saw it after the surgery, I was just like I completely fainted, and and I decided I'm taking this test. So I would study every day for like eight hours at a time. And I'm a very ADHD girl. I couldn't take any of my ADHD meds. So I'm like, there's no way I could pass this test. I literally can't focus on anything. And I decided I'm taking this test. So what I would do, I would sit with these huge bandages on my hands, because it's on both hands um, that were affected. And I would write out all my notes beautifully with pens and highlighters and stickers and everything. And I'd sit at one coffee shop here in Dallas and I started posting them on Instagram, my notes, like I, just for me to look at more because I like seeing them all in one place. So I made a separate account and it was called Study Notes ABA. And people started following it. And I would like teach some things because I just love teaching. And like I felt like that had been ripped away from me with my lupus. And so I'd be like, I'm, get, I'm gonna offer a free class on this topic, um, whatever it was. And then once I passed the test, I decided I'm going to start teaching these classes for free. 
So I did that and the classes really grew. And then I started charging five bucks a class. And um, I don't know, we maybe had like five or six people in. And then one day it really grew when we had a student who had taken the test 10 times. She took our study prep and on that time she passed and she posted in like a big Facebook group for ABA people. And suddenly we went from having like 30 students signed up to having 120. Now we have about, um, we have thousands of students come through the program a year. And my entire story of the idea of if I could do this and I literally had my fingertips like taken off right before, you could do it too. You just need to find your why. Like, why are you doing this? And what's your purpose? Um, is it because you're going to make a, you know, going from making $17 an hour to making $80,000 a year for your family? Is it because like you need to prove to your, you know, your child that you don't give up? Is it because, you know, there's there's no help for these kids in your community for um, to get behavior analysis? What is your why? And we really focus on that. So that is really important for everyone to find. My why was this was my last chance. This was like, I'm either going to have to, like, I found myself in a weird position, like talking to my dad about like, okay, like, what do we have like to support me for the rest of my life if I can't work and this and that? And, and I was like, I can't live for that. Like I, this, I've got to make it in this. And I don't have to, like, my why was I'm doing this for myself to show that granted all the things that I've lost, I've lost so many, like so many physical ability to do things or, um, or different things that I would have, you know, even like, like physicality wise, like my skin issues drive me crazy. Or the fact that I lost three fingertips, like seemed like I'm like, no one's going to want to eat at my house for Shabbat dinner. They're going to think there's a finger in the food. Like every <laughs> single thing, like I went through everything. And I had to, you have to refine yourself in terms of what am I going to, what can I focus on that I still do have? What do I have? So for me, I never considered myself an academic. I still don't, I'm still not. I get really bored in like three seconds. Um, I would get 100% on a school project because I had like Christmas lights on it, not because like the content was that great. Um, nothing about me was academic, but it was, I, I had to figure out what do I have that I still can do? And so honing in on those things, like, okay, my ability to be able to be creative, my ability to use my brain, my humor to teach this stuff. And my entire business was built on this. And it's so true to me. And it was built as an entire online platform to work for me that I don't have to have the stress of like going to a physical job every day, which happened to be amazing. The fact that it was made for this and then Corona happened. Um, but figuring out all the things I did have and then focusing on those to build something that I feel so strongly about, like, I feel like I'm actually, I, I thought I wouldn't be able to help these individuals anymore with autism, or I feel like I'm helping on a larger scale now because I'm able to get behavior analysts out there who thought, you know, this test, I can't pass this test. I can't do this. And 
being able to share my story is also therapeutic for me, you know, and you see how much good is done by sharing your story. And it's all about the way you share your story. How are you going to tell your story to others, right? Because there are definitely things you could say that's going to make someone uncomfortable in terms of like, hey, so I have lupus and a lot of people with lupus like end up in wheelchairs and, right? Like, I mean, at the time, my husband, Eliron, I met him with 10 fingers and I had a lot of health issues, but, and I tried, I mean, I think it's a blessing that he barely spoke English because I tried telling him about my health <laughs> issues and he's like, why are you telling me these? And I'm like, <laughs> I have seven fingers now. Now you understand. Um, and, but it's all about the way you share your story with the world. Like, are you going to present it with confidence? Are you going to present it like, this is what I have. Like someone who has diabetes, like I have diabetes. I check my, my uh, uh, you know, my sugar levels three times a day. This is just what I do. You could present it like that. Or you could like, oh, so I have this disease. It's kind of scary. Like, I don't know what my prognosis is. And you create that belief that someone else believes. So you really have to believe it yourself. Right. Basically you own your story. It's like you define going back to the saying before it could define you or you could define it. And just hearing what you're right. saying, like you, you, you own it. It's like, I heard a great line once that happiness is not an emotion. It's a choice Like you, you could choose to do it or you do not like attitude, like it, right. It's the, the same, totally. you know, the pessimist and the optimist, they see the same thing and they're both right. Right. They're seeing the same thing. But it's just how you you look at it. Either it's good or it's bad. So they're not, they're not lying, right? right? So, so it's like crazy how much I literally feel like God was planning out everything for me. Because if you like really saw the details of like everything in my business, each of it was some challenge I had along the way that brought me to where I am. Whether it's my brother, the fact that I'm in special ed, okay, that's one direction. Um, whether it's because I had to like write these notes out to try to remember because I had no attention span, not on my ADD meds, which I've been on since second grade, you know, the, the, one of the main premise of the video is writing these beautiful notes out, um, which like is what got us known for these beautiful notes and making studying reinforcing. Um, I would have loved to be a Chelsea handler and have my own comedy show. This is my opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, my story of what I went through with my fingers, like it makes people want to be like, okay, if she could do this, I could do it. You know, like, it's not that I'm some huge academic or I'm brilliant in these different things. It's like, it has to be taught to you in a way that you could bring it to life. And I feel like everything until now has led me to exactly, I mean, I'm sure I'm going to have more challenges along the way, you know, like it's not like a done thing. And sometimes I wonder, I wonder, I'm like, you know, is it that I'm just more positive now that I see these things or am I going through less, you know? And I kind of, I think that positivity breeds more positivity, you know, like the way that you um, allow different things to affect you. So you were saying like, were you always so out there? Honestly, when you see your life like in front of your eyes and it's like, okay, like what do I have left? Like I've had this taken away from me. I've had this taken away from me. You think like, well, I have to do like what I want to do. I have to make a difference. I, I need to like be authentic to myself. And that's exactly how I created what I have done. And I, I mean, I can't say that it's all for me. Honestly, a lot of it, like, I mean, and most of it is, you know, Mazal from Hashem because like how this has worked out. I mean, I, I 
couldn't imagine. And I, I mean, please God, this is just the beginning of where this my company is going. But I mean, I I just like I'm at, like I you know when Yom Kippur just happened, I literally when I was praying, I was just thinking, how crazy that there's this God sitting up there and who's like, no, 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 this girl. Like I think of 2016. Literally, my fingers came off a few months later after Rosh Hashanah. That's when it all started. He's like, ha this girl's going to lose fingers this year. She doesn't know what she's in for, right? And I'm like, okay, then that happened. Then, like, this time in between, it's like, no, but I have a bigger plan for her. It's all going to be for a reason, and it's going to help her find her passion. And I just think of, like, you know, you know, getting credit for these different things I've done with the business or this and that. Like, I don't think it's necessarily me. I mean, I've done some things that are creative and it's allowed me to, but like, it's really from Hashem, the fact that I've been able to, you know, that this idea that I had has been accepted and, and loved by so many people and there's a following and like a loyal audience and, um, we've been able to change so many lives. And so every single day, and, and this is one thing I want to say on here, is the importance of purpose. I did not plan on getting a job again. Like I told Eliron when I met him, I'm like, I cannot work. Like you're going to have to figure out a way to support us. Like I cannot work. My health is not good. Like we need to have something set up, blah, blah, blah. And... I, and like, I would be sick a lot. I would need to sleep like 15 hours a day, literally. Once I had this and I like found such passion in every day and such a purpose to wake up, suddenly I didn't feel the pain on the end of my fingertips. Suddenly my joints didn't hurt. And I'm honestly amazed by this every day that when you have a purpose and you have a reason to wake up and like something, it doesn't have to be a business, you know, it could be like a, an, a craft. I mean, mine started off as arts and crafts. So that's what I love doing. And that's what this business came to be. But like finding that is so important, you know, and just seeing things on a, a scale like that, because I could tell you, I have been on so many medications. I've been on so many treatments and the first medication in 60 years for lupus or this or that or that. And I mean, my diagnosis list is much longer now with scleroderma, lupus, fibromyalgia, Raynaud's, blah, 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 blah. But like nothing has made me feel better than having a purpose. Like it's, and I just think for people to really try find that. And, but I, then again, I can't say that I like just found it on my own. It's like, okay, I'm just going on a search. It, it kind of all came together. Right. But you know what, on on that point that you're saying that, you know, that you're saying that something struck me before I was going to mention, and you said a line about when you were going through all the struggles, you said, let me find out like what I do have, right? What I do have. And it hits me and I never thought of it in this particular way, but in ethics of the fathers, it says, Ezehu Ashir, who is wealthy, someone who is content with their portion, with their lot. So I was looked at in like almost like a financial, you know, you you know, you have, you have this much money, be be happy because if you want, you want to make a hundred thousand, you want to make two hundred fifty, you know, three hundred five. You're always if you're not happy with what you have, you're always going to want more. You're always going to want more. But right. you really you're providing a different perspective where you're saying, be happy with your lot in every aspect of your life, your physical condition, your 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 surroundings, your friends, your parents. 
because everyone's going to have something different and a, a family challenge, a health challenge, a financial challenge. And when you look to the next person and say, oh, they don't have that, or I wish I had this or didn't have that, it's very hard for us to be happy. And God's saying, what's going to, I mean, what, totally. what's going to make you happy is being happy with what you have, but you need to really introspect and and, and it's not I mean, like you said, it's not always easy to try to figure out when. No, and it sounds much bad. better in hindsight. You know, they, they right, say, like, right. don't they say like, what's the, you know, that one quote, like Hashem is like making a rug backwards or something. You could only see that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I was, like that only... was the second thing I was going to say. That's your dad's oh, okay. famous line because that's your dad's line. He loves to is talk it? about that. You could say, go for it. It's like I don't a know it though, but I know like, yeah, like a tapestry, like from the back, it looks like a huge mess and like knots right. and all this stuff. But. When you see the other side of the tapestry, it's this beautiful portrait that was all made with, you know, certain, you know, like everything was for a reason. And I mean, when you're going through it, and the one thing I do not want to sound like on here is that person just preaching like, yeah, no, it's all beautiful. Like, right. it sucks when you're going through it. It sucks. You don't always get to see the good Life stuff. sucks. Yeah, you don't like, right away. I was so depressed. I like I couldn't write my own list of the reasons I should die. I had to have my mom write it for me. Like my hands didn't work. My poor mother, you know, she's so sweet. Bless her. Um, so like, I mean, so I, again, I don't want to tell anyone along the way, like it's easy. But what I do see, what is crazy is that like, sometimes I look at my situation now and you know what? To me, I think it's like amazing. Like I wake up every day and I'm like, oh my gosh, like how cool is this? And I have this business, it's my passion. I wake up, I love to do it. Like I could be the one giving sadaka. I could be the one doing this. Like that's exactly what I want to do. But someone else, it might not be that amazing. But oh, it's a whole little pre your appreciation on oh, everything. Yes. Sorry, I cut you off. You know, you're appreciating no. every like, like you said, like we don't ask for challenges when we have them. Like it's painful, it's hard. But there is a certain element that I guess the silver lining is that it's like you you appreciate you yep, like you said, the, the purpose is real. And that like that's real happiness. We all know happiness, you know, money's good, having nice houses, the cars, that they, like, but at the end of the day, you always want more, you're never satisfied. It's part of you know the nature that God put inside us. So, but when you have purpose, that's the ultimate validation, right? That's when I feel validated. I'm living for something. And sometimes when you go through the challenge that whatever challenge you're going through, it's only then do you like you flex that muscle. Now you could appreciate it. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's like, we Everything. live in such a culture. We so, like, like uh, we live in the when then culture, when I have this and then I'll be good. When I have right, the spouse, the money, the job, the ha you know, that, but like we, we fail to really appreciate it because, because like, we're just always looking for the next, for the next moment. But only when you have that, like that appreciation, and many times, unfortunately, it comes through the struggle, or maybe fortunately, it comes through the struggle, then it's it's a whole different life. Yeah. I mean, I always think, I always, like, will tell, like, you know, my friends or something, and I'm like, when I feel good, for example, which, thank God, most days it is that I feel good now. But, like, when I feel really good, like, I don't know, in general, even when I wake up healthy, like, I genuinely in the morning, like, when I say modani, I genuinely, like, it's it's not just saying, like, the, you know, the Hebrew words of it. I'm genuinely, like, Hashem. Like, instead of just going through all the brachos, I'm, like, thank you so much that I could walk today. Thank you that my, like, my joints are working and I could, like, use my hand. Thank you so much that my brain's working. Because when you have these things switched off for a second, 
you realize everything that is working in that moment. So like when I feel good, sometimes I'm like, am I manic? How happy I am? Like I literally be driving and like the smile on my face is like creepy. And I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> but it's it's this idea of just genuinely being able to appreciate these things. And it takes time to get there. And I don't think, and I, I do think a huge thing that, a lot of us struggle with, you know, myself included for a long time. Like I don't, I mean, I have other struggles now. I don't feel like this is my current struggle, but always like seeking out like, well, what is happiness? Like, when am I going to be happy? Um, like a huge question of like, okay, so when I do this, will I be happy? If I take this course, will I be happy if I do this? Um, and I think kind of just realizing that like, Look, my situation as someone else wouldn't necessarily be happy. The fact that I have to like wear gloves when it's 110 degrees outside, I can't be in the sun, I can't be in the cold, I can't do this. But to me, I genuinely, I really do feel happy each day that I feel good. So it's just this idea of realizing that like it's the whole process, you know, and that no one, that there's not like a, a certain place you go and it's like, Anyways, the idea that there's not a certain place that you go and now you picked up happiness, you know, it's the process along the way. And I think getting there, a huge thing is gratitude and thanking God for the things that you do have and just acknowledging that in your everyday life. And I think that's huge, really huge. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're saying that is that, you know, fortunately, um, you had that connection uh, through your family and through your upbringing to realize God, how God plays a factor and and all that. And I think in Judaism in general, and that's the fact that God, you know, people that give us the Torah, the Bible, and all these seemingly a lot of rules and this and that, and it seems so restrictive. Um, but the reality is, and it's a whole nother discussion for a different day, but God made it that there's meaning in every single aspect of one's life. Like if you really get into the nitty gritty is, you know, you make a blessing on food before you eat it. Now you just took a mundane thing. It seems just to be like, I'm eating. Now I'm blessing God for this food. And it's like, now, now I just made this meaningful. Wow. Just, you know, using the restroom, there's a prayer for afterwards. They thanking God for people don't think about that. But when you read the prayer and it's like, you know, and you get into so the it. The prayer is putting those things in, but when you have a health issue and you can't go to the bathroom or you <laughs> can't do that, right? like even talking basic human behavior, like now you will say that prayer, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah. so I think a lot of these prayers, like really when you go through something, they, they begin to have personal meaning to you because like, it's like telling someone to imagine like, uh, you know, like a fourth dimension or something. Like we just can't until you've been through something and you know that pain or you know what it is or, you know, you know what it's like not to have that, to be able to dress yourself. Like, you know, I work with a lot of individuals who can't speak. And I had an issue with my voice this year that my voice wouldn't come out. And I was like freaking out. I'm like, oh no, is this a new thing that I don't have a voice now? Um, just that I talk too much. But um, <laughs> when you yell a lot, you're going to lose yeah, your voice. The exactly. doctor said. <laughs> exactly. So, but just this idea of, you know, you kind of come into contact with these things and it's these difficulties we go through are blessings in a sense, because now you really get to appreciate it when you do have it. If there's one thing you could tell yourself 15 years ago. What would that one thing be? I know there'd be a lot of things, but there is one thing that you could. 
Oh, good one. Probably, this is deep. <laughs> oh, Something deep. probably along the lines. I think about this a bit. I'm like, if we truly trusted in Hashem, you know, everyone talks about this like Amuna and whatever. Faith if we God, truly, yeah. tr if, if we knew exactly what was going to happen, that's what it would be like. It'd be like, don't worry. It's all going to work out for your best. You're going to do well. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. It would be like telling myself like, no, like just actually trust God that like there's a plan behind it. Like it's easy to say now that it's over, but it'd be, it would need to be a message kind of like, Hey, Liat, it's me, your future self. I promise you're going to be really happy. Just like it's a few rough years and like the fingers maybe take care of themselves. The heartbreak that you've gone through in relationships will be fine. Just like, you know, um, I could have saved a few tears. So That's I, good. You know, I, I was going through something a hard, I was going through something challenging and someone once gave me advice, like don't get in God's way. Like let him do it. Like just do your thing, you know, work on what you got to work with. Just don't get in his way. So it's like, it's. That's like so said, true. Like, like it's okay. he has a plan. Things are gonna be good, and we see time over and I over. I think that people need to believe it because if someone told me that my life would be where it is now from where I was like three years ago, like the queen of every Tehillim list, which like there's still our list, which is amazing, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, right. But like, and there's sometimes situations where you see someone, and I don't wanna, like, and sometimes I'm like, I understand why they're depressed. Like that sucks what they're going through or they've lost so much. Like I don't blame them for feeling this way or like feeling like their life isn't worth living or this and that. And then I'm like, whoa, 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 Liat. I mean, I'm also like a major empath. I'm like, Liat, do you not think people said that about you <laughs> four years ago? Like the poor girl's fingers are falling off in front of her. She has nothing left. Like she has to live at her parents' house and like the back converted garage, you know? And so it's just like this idea of like, even when you think you are in the lowest point, like Hashem still has the power to make that change. And I think that's just really important to remember. Nice. Absolutely. Wow. I know, Liat, we know, um, I feel like we could we could talk for another eight, eight and a half hours, easy. Um, but well, maybe we'll call this part one for a future for a future podcast. But right. next time we'll have the technical difficulties will be uh, <laughs> at a minimum. That's okay. We're used to it. We're we're always in technical <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Um, it's really been uh, eye-opening and also very inspirational to to see how you took life's challenges and and have turned it around and uh, become successful in your in your in your business and you're married. And we love Eliron as well. And uh, um, it's pretty amazing. You can have so, him on a podcast too. <laughs> I don't love him that much. <laughs> yeah, he, he'd be entertaining. <laughs> yeah, He'll talk sure. about the life, enjoying the life. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Just to hear him talk, it'd be worth it to have him on there. I love it. But thank um, you guys so much. This is awesome. Yeah. All right, Leah. Thanks so much. Thanks All right, for guys. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on another uh, episode of Hanging at the Hub. Subscribe to Hanging at the Hub on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at jet.jewisheducationtexas on Instagram and at jewisheducationtexas on Facebook. Or watch the show at jetexas.org.